With the release of Jonathan Allen's and Amy Parnes' Shattered inside Hillary Clinton's doomed campaign, the patina of credibility surrounding Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign has finally imploded. We know that her campaign was plagued by infighting stupidity and arrogance. We know that all of this meant she couldn't unify Democrats during the primaries, and she couldn't unify Democrats even after the primaries. We know that she didn't take the most rudimentary polling data in swing states for weeks before the election. And we know she had no centralizing message to her campaign. Yet today, Democrats who worked on Hillary's campaign were concerned with demonstrating that everybody on the campaign got along famously. Famously, do you hear? Never mind that Hillary lost the most winnable election in history against Donald Trump. Donald Trump. No, everything was hunky-dory. So like moths to the Twitter flame, Hillary staffers emerged to show the mutual love from the campaign trail. Yep, look at these, oh, these happy people with Hillary. They love each other. Ah, look at this. Oh, it's so nice. Everybody's so happy while she's losing to Donald Trump. Yeah. See, people sometimes mouth at each other. Like, they liked each other and everything. They had an awesome time while losing to Donald Trump, you guys. Because as we know, pictures always demonstrate that people love each other and are not engaged in dysfunctional relationships that end in disaster. Right? Like Stalin and all those people, and OJ and Nicole and the Menendez brothers and Yoko Ono and the Beatles and Bill and Hillary Clinton. Well, oh well, so much for that. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. They got nothing, gang. I mean, really. (laughs) Hillary's campaign was a complete disaster. It was a complete cluster F. And uh, and the reason that was because the person at the top didn't know what she was doing. But we'll get to all of that. Plus, I want to get to Bill O'Reilly being ousted from Fox News. What does that mean? There are a bunch of lessons to be learned uh, from that particular one. Plus, a little bit later in the program, we're going to be having on Based Stickman. Based Stickman, that's Kyle Chapman, who became famous because he whacked somebody with a stick during a March 2017 rally uh, for Donald Trump in which Antifa attacked and he defended. So we'll be talking with him in just a little while about the goings-on, the latest goings-on at Berkeley and Ann Coulter and everything else. But first, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at My Patriot Supply. So if you are concerned about the fact that the North Koreans are actually interested in nuking us and seem rather unpredictable and keep testing missiles and are obviously building up their thermonuclear capacity. If this concerns you at all and you are worried about the possibility of that or natural disaster, basically anything going wrong where you're in need of food but you haven't gone to the grocery store or there's a rush on the grocery stores and the government can't get to you, that's why you need to go over to preparewithben.com, preparewithben.com, 888-803-1413 for your four-week emergency food supply. It's only $99 plus free shipping. It lasts for four weeks, obviously. And that means that you and your family are going to be safe for four weeks for just 99 bucks. I mean, that's a low enough price that you do it once, you stick it in your basement, and then you don't have to worry about it until disaster strikes, at which point you're glad that you spent the $99 with my Patriot Supply at preparewithben.com, preparewithben.com, 888-803-1413. Out here in California, everybody is worried about earthquakes, but nobody's actually gone and done their shopping. Well, if you go to preparewithben.com, 888-803-1413, you don't have to worry about it. You just stick that in the closet, and then next time disaster strikes, you're the only one on the block who is prepared and safe. Preparewithben.com, $99, four-week emergency food supply, and I've been told by the staff that it tastes like home cooking, so it tastes pretty good, apparently. All right, preparewithben.com, check it out. Okay, so... Big story of the day remains the ouster of Bill O'Reilly at Fox News. So the biggest host in the history of Fox News is now out on his on his rear. And that is an amazing thing. I mean, it's 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 obviously a sort of earth shattering move when it comes to the when it when it comes to the media. 
And there's a reason why this happened, and that is that all of these women were coming forward and telling stories about how Bill O'Reilly was hitting on them. Uh, they were all coming forward and saying that Bill O'Reilly had, had you know, tried to solicit them for sex, and then when they had not given in, then he had refused to help them with their careers. That basically he held out the carrot of, I'll help you with your career if you have sex with me, and then he had backed off of that the minute that they wouldn't, uh, or he had called them up on the phone and said dirty things to them. You know, all of this is bad stuff, and he had settled out apparently many, many times, and Fox News had settled out many, many times. Uh, they did an internal review of all of O'Reilly's you know, supposed escapades, and they, they had Paul Weiss, which is a, a major law firm, do the internal review, and apparently there was a split in the Murdoch family. Rupert wanted to keep Bill O'Reilly, and the sons wanted to get rid of Bill O'Reilly because they thought that he was a liability now. A lot of advertisers had dropped out, and this, I think, is, is the first thing to say. The first thing to say is that there is a real tendency on the right to run from people because they've lost their advertisers. And the left knows this, and that's why Media Matters has been used for years as the tip of the spear in fighting the right-wing media. When we were at Truth Revolt, we tried to apply the same tactics to MSNBC, and we were actually successful. We wanted to establish a mutually assured destruction. Here is my view. Advertisers should generally not be boycotted based on the the shows upon which they advertise. I, I think secondary boycotts are generally not a good thing. I think they create a less free culture in America. It's not a legal thing, but it is a, a culture thing. If the idea is you don't like Bill O'Reilly and so you're going to boycott his advertisers, then you are effectively cracking down on a certain amount of, of free speech. Not that you can't do it legally, uh, not that it's not in some cases moral to do it, but as a general rule, this, this, this kind of ease with which we do this now, where we call up advertisers and say that we're going to boycott your company unless you pull advertising from a particular show, this is how the left really slammed Rush Limbaugh after the Sandra Fluck incident. Uh, this is how the left has gone after people like Michael Savage. Uh, the left has also gone after, obviously, now Bill O'Reilly. So Media Matters basically astroturfed. 500 or 1,000 people to call up the advertisers uh, on Fox News and say, we don't want to see your pro, we don't want to see your commercial on Bill O'Reilly, or we're going to pull all the money. They've done this to Glenn Beck as well. Basically, if you're anybody on the right and you've reached a certain level of notoriety, the left will at some point attempt to go after your advertisers, which is really nasty stuff. And advertisers should know going forward that this stuff happens, that there, that there is astroturfed attempts to destroy particular hosts because the left wants to destroy the host, not because the advertisers are really in any danger. Usually if 500, people sort of in, in the advertising industry, they don't want controversy and they are not interested in having 500 people call their headquarters. And so the easiest thing to do is just pull your ad and put it someplace else where you can get an equal number of eyeballs. But it would be great to see advertisers actually do a little bit of deeper digging and see whether it's media matters creating a, a list serve that they, they send out to 100,000 people and then 500 of them call, or whether it's actually 500 potential clients of the advertiser who have decided they're really, really angry, whether there's really widespread outrage over all of this. Now, that's, so that's point number one, is that just because boycotting on O'Reilly work doesn't mean that boycotting in general is a good tactic or a worthwhile tactic or a useful tactic, uh, particularly with mainstream commentators of, of either side. I think that's, that's sort of a problem. Uh, the second point here is the O'Reilly-specific points. That one's not specific to O'Reilly because this happens, as I say, to a lot of conservative hosts uh, from time to time in their career, which is why, for example, you will see and, – and the right doesn't engage in this. The right will, will not boycott advertisers because they advertise on Chris Hayes or, or Rachel Maddow. The left will boycott advertisers or at least say they're going to boycott advertisers based on – you know, stuff that uh, the advertise the, based on them advertising on Sean Hannity's show, for example. And that's why when you watch Fox News, a lot of the advertisers are gold companies or walk-in shower companies. And when you watch MSNBC, it's all institutional advertisers, meaning, you know, car companies, 
you know, beer companies because the even though MSNBC has way lower ratings than Fox News. And the reason for that is obvious, and that's because these advertisers are wary of being slammed with bad publicity. Now, boycotts work on both sides, and in some cases I think boycotts are justified. Like, I think that you're perfectly within your rights to say, I don't feel like going to Target if I'm afraid that I'm going to bring my child into a bathroom and then a man's going to walk into the bathroom in the girl's bathroom. I think that's perfectly legit. It's a perfectly responsible action. I don't think it's legit when you say, I don't like the point of view on this particular show, therefore I'm boycotting the advertiser on this particular show. Uh, that's directed at the, at the exercise of free speech. Again, legal, I don't think it's particularly moral. I'm not a big fan of it. So that's point number one. Point number two is the, is the O'Reilly-specific point. And this is a real problem for the right. So there are a bunch of women who have now come out and made allegations about Bill O'Reilly. Uh, Margaret Hoover was one of the women who used to be on Fox News a fair bit. And yesterday she was talking about never being alone in a room with Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly never hit on me. Bill O'Reilly never sexually harassed me. Um, I will say, though, as a young woman, many of us have experiences that are uncomfortable. And I had some experiences that were uncomfortable enough for me to know never to put myself in a position where I was alone with Bill or alone with people that made me feel uncomfortable. And so when I heard first read Gretchen's complaint and when Gretchen Carlson's complaint, who was really the hero mm -hmm. and the unsung hero of all of this story, I'm because she is the one else. woman who stood up in the face of a culture that was condoning bad behavior for years and years and years and years, right. it was eminently believable because um, there was just a feel of interacting at times that was deeply uncomfortable. And it, it was easy for me to extrapolate that if I hadn't been doing things to protect myself, that I might have ended up in a position where I could have been vulnerable. So Okay, so th there's a point she makes here that I think is, is kind of amusing in one sense. She says that she makes a point never to be alone in a room with a man. And the entire left goes, yeah, that makes perfect sense because men are pigs. Mike Pence says he makes a point never to be alone in a room with a woman. And the entire left goes insane, right? I mean, and his assumption is that men are pigs. So Mike Pence makes the exact same assumption as Margaret Hoover. And Margaret Hoover is right and Mike Pence is wrong. But the broader point that she's making is that there was a culture at Fox News that tolerated this sort of stuff. Kirsten Powers says the same thing. Here's what she said. I was on air actually with Margaret Hoover, who's at CNN now, uh, on a regular segment. We were on every Monday, and he got Margaret's name wrong, and Margaret said, hey, get my name right. And he said, oh, I'm sorry, there's a lot of blondes in this operation. I can't keep you all straight. Megyn Kelly's coming up, starts throwing all these blonde names. Um, and then at the end of the segment says, thank you for your blondness to both of us. So I went to his executive producer and I said, um, he needs to apologize and he needs to never do that again, um, or I'm not doing his show anymore. And I was told basically, well, you know, Bill, there's nothing we can do about it. He's a throwback. He's kind of an Archie Bunker. And I said, well, if you mean he's a Neanderthal, then we're on the same page. He can never do that again. I'm a political analyst here. Went to Bill, came back, said, no, he's not going to apologize. So then I went to my, my, I was called into my boss's office. I was told, what can we do? It's Bill. There's nothing we can do. Um, you know, we're sorry this happened to you, but there's nothing we can do. I complained to Roger Ailes. I was told the same exact thing. There's nothing we can do. It's Bill. He's a jerk. Nobody likes him. Uh, you know, and then Roger said, you know, Bill, he likes to put up uh, p dirty pictures and ask pretty girls to talk about them. Okay. So the, the idea that, that, you know, O'Reilly would have to apologize for the fact that Fox News has lots of blondes on the air, and he made a comment about it. I think that's a bit of a stretch. I mean, let's be real about this. Fox News has lots of blondes on the air. <laughs> I mean, I think that there is definitely a blonde affirmative action program that exists at Fox News, and, you know, making a, making a comment about it, that, that is not even close to the bad stuff that Bill O'Reilly is accused of doing. I mean, there's an entire list of bad things that Bill O'Reilly has been accused of doing. This one does not even chart. But here is the problem. There was indeed a culture at Fox News that basically was tolerant 
of what appears to be a lot of allegations of sexual harassment, not just about O'Reilly, but also about Roger Ailes, of course. Roger Ailes was said to have said really dirty things and threatened people's jobs based on their refusal to have sex with him. Uh, all of that is, is deeply troubling stuff. And as far as the O'Reilly allegations... I always find it hard to believe that none of the allegations are true when you have like 10 allegations. There's a bunch of allegations uh, about the uh, about this whole this whole shtick. Um, yeah, the, the, I, there was there's people who Andrew Macris, who's one of his producers, who I knew when when she actually has, had me on O'Reilly's show a while ago. Uh, she was she she won I think a ten million dollar settlement from O'Reilly. That was the famous case where he was calling her up in the middle of the night allegedly, and then he was suggesting that there was a uh, that that there was a that she used a loofah and all, all this kind of stuff. You know, that, that sort of stuff, too many allegations to simply dismiss all of them. I'll give you a quick list. Andrea Macros receives that $9 million settlement after O'Reilly allegedly made sexual references to her via phone. Former guest Wendy Walsh accused O'Reilly of offering to help her at Fox but cutting her dead when she refused his sexual advances. Former guest Juliet Huddy received $1.6 million settlement from Fox News after she alleged that he made sexual phone calls to her and then tried to harm her career. Former host Andrea Tanteros filed a lawsuit against O'Reilly and Roger Ailes, who was ousted last year after similar allegations. Lori Dew similarly sued both, both over similar allegations, received a settlement in excess of a million bucks. Former host Rebecca Gomez-Diamond alleged sexual phone calls from O'Reilly. And then there was a report this week from attorney Lisa Bloom that one of her clients was called hot chocolate by, by O'Reilly and that O'Reilly leered at her. There's some people who write this kind of stuff off. I don't, as somebody who works in an office and runs an office, I don't think it's appropriate for people to be acting in this manner. I, I think just as a gentleman, forget about the office environment, just as a gentleman, it's not appropriate to be acting in this manner. And there was a tolerance of this sort of behavior, obviously up to and including Roger Ailes and by Roger Ailes also. And that's a big problem. Now, the reason that I point this out is not to suggest that all males are pigs and all males are sexual harassers and that there's a rape culture in the United States. What it is to suggest is that powerful people are able to get away on both sides of the aisle with behavior that would have the rest of us in serious trouble. And that's a problem. And that's not just because powerful people are able to manipulate the system. That's also because we as citizens look up to powerful people, people we see on TV a lot, people who are in politics, and we are willing to excuse their sins based on the fact that we like all the other things that they are saying and doing. So Wendy Walsh, who was one of the people who sued O'Reilly uh, or alleged bad activity by O'Reilly, uh, she uh, spoke out yesterday and she talked about O'Reilly and Trump. And remember, Trump defended O'Reilly over all of these allegations originally. Um, do you, would you like to see the president of the United States address it? Do you think he was a, it was appropriate for him to do it in the first place? Uh, yeah, I mean, does he have better things to do? We got a problem with Korea right now and Syria. I mean, come on. But um, I do think these two are birds of a feather. They're men of a certain generation who thought of women as, uh, you know, ornaments in workplaces. And I'm hoping I have faith in the president's daughter, Ivanka, that she is going to do more for women than her father. Okay, so the reason that I have a problem with Republicans going along with all of this, like Democrats always went around, uh, so the, the hypocrisy point, Democrats always went along with this, right? Democrats are fine with Bill Clinton sexually molesting the help. They don't have any problem with that whatsoever. When it's on the right side of the aisle, it's the end of the world. But this is a tendency that now crosses the aisle. I was always under the impression that people on my side of the aisle, people on the right, were not willing to stand for bad behavior just because you happen to agree with somebody. It's one thing if the allegations are not credible, or it's one allegation that gets settled out of court for purposes of just getting it off the table. But if it's multiple allegations, you do not look askance at the people who are alleging it if it's tons and tons of allegations 
just because you like the guy. It's one thing if the allegations are not credible. But again, if you have lots of credible allegations, lots of settlements out of court, the law firm at Fox News saying this is a problem, then you do have to look at yourself and determine whether the reason that you are supporting a character is because you think that they are in the right and truly innocent, or is the reason you're supporting the character because you agree with a lot of the things that they have to say. And that is a problem because it means the hijacking of particular philosophies about character, about life, about the economy, about everything, simply because you like a lot of what the guy is saying. And we saw this with regard to polls about Trump, you know, that say that, that now more Republicans than Democrats think it's okay for a politician to cheat on his wife or have sex outside of marriage, that, that's only due to Trump. And that's because there's a follow-the-leader mentality that is natural to human beings that we all have to fight. And the idea of having a good ideology, a good philosophy, a good religious perspective is that you follow principle above personality. I want to talk a little bit more about that in just a second. But first, I want to say thank you to our new advertisers over at Realty Shares. Realty Shares. So it's R E A L. T-Y, R-E-L-T-Y, like Realty, shares.com slash Ben. So here is what RealtyShares.com does. So if you are an accredited investor, which means that you have two, you make $200,000 a year, you can qualify to use RealtyShares.com slash Ben. You can browse and sign up and, uh, and browse their investments. They have a whole series of Realty investments, and you can put some of your money in like $5,000 increments into some of these real estate projects. So you can become a real estate investor by doing the research on these various projects at RealtyShares.com slash Ben, and you can diversify. So instead of having to sink all your money into one apartment building, instead you can take $5,000, put it in an apartment building in Orlando, and then you can take $5,000 and put it into an apartment, into an office building in San Francisco, and you can diversify your investments this way. It's a great way to get into real estate, and it is real estate group investing. So again, you're not picking up the entire onus of the whole thing. It's R-E-A-L-T-Y-Shares.com, RealtyShares.com. You no longer need billions or even millions or even tens of thousands of dollars to invest in vetted real estate assets. Like there's no guarantee, of course, that you are going to that, that you are going to make money on all this stuff. Real estate investing is always risky, but this gives you the option to take a look at all of these various projects, and it's a great way to make a lot of money. If you look at all the people who are very wealthy that you know, it's probably because they took all the money that they were making and they stuck it into real into realty, and they stuck it into real estate. There are close to 100,000 investors nationwide using realty shares. Over $60 million in principle has been returned to the investors. It's, it's not liquid, meaning you can't just pull your money out at, at first blush. You can't just decide. It's not like a stock market or something. But it does mean that you are going to start receiving dividends on your money pretty quickly. Realty shares R-E-A-L-T-Y-Shares.com slash Ben, and you get $100 toward your first investment. Past performance, of course, not guaranteed to recur. However, historically, Realty Shares has been a source of cash flow. Investors have earned monthly and quarterly distributions as passive income coming straight into their bank account. It's not an offering of securities. Private investments are highly illiquid and risky, are not suitable for all investors. Past performance, not indicative of future results. Securities offered to accredited investors through North Capital Private Securities. It's a member of FINRA and the SIPC. Again, RealtyShares.com slash Ben. Fantastic way to get into real estate investing. Uh, if you are a qualified investor and you get $100 toward your first investment, also use that slash Ben so they know that we sent you as well. Really cool service. Excited to be associated with them. Okay, so the reason that I lead with all this O'Reilly stuff and the, and the tendency, the human tendency of attempting to swallow the bad along with the good, that somebody does something bad and now we're just going to go along with them the whole way, is this involves a certain amount of corruption of the soul, and that means corruption of the political soul. And the, the perfect example of this, you know, the, it is aside from the, the sexual stuff with Trump and, and O'Reilly, 
there's a tendency because people like Donald Trump that they're going to swallow his agenda wholesale, even stuff that is clearly heretical to to basic conservative principles. So today, perfect example, today, Breitbart News runs a piece in which they basically say that there is a libertarian case for Trumpian redistributionism. Right? They, they run in, this is actually written in Breitbart News today. It's called The Libertarian Case for Donald Trump's Buy American Order. John Carney writes, he says, Today's critics of trade orthodoxy are so far removed from those of the past that perhaps we shouldn't call them protectionists at all. Let's call them what they are, economic nationalists. No. Protectionists are protectionists. He says, but here's the part that's crazy. He says, it is altogether possible that one may prefer lower living standards in favor of a more humane distribution of wealth or a government procurement policy that recycles dollars taxed and borrowed back into the domestic economy. I'll read that again because it's insane. Okay, it is altogether possible one may prefer lower living standards in favor of a more humane distribution of wealth. Now I'm going to read that in the voice in which it belongs. You ready? It is altogether possible that one may prefer lower government living standards in favor of a more humane distribution of wealth. It's Bernie Sanders. It's on the mark Bernie Sanders. Okay? And they are now parroting this stuff. People on the supposed right are parroting this stuff because they like Donald Trump. That is not excusable. And it's not just Breitbart News, which you would expect, because Breitbart News is Breitbart News and they love Trump. Okay, that's fine. It's also Tucker Carlson. So Tucker Carlson has on Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban is a billionaire. And here is Tucker Carlson with Mark Cuban. And Cuban, shockingly, is taking the more capitalist position. This is about H-1B visas. This is the program that allows people with high-tech degrees to come into the United States and work for a job. The reason that is good is because otherwise these companies are simply going to outsource the jobs or they're going to move the company altogether. They're going to lower their labor costs or raise their prices. Okay, Free flow of labor is a crucial ingredient to having lower prices and better products. Here is Tucker Carlson with Mark Cuban. Cuban is right, and Carlson's about to say something that is full-on Marxism. It's, it's pretty crazy. Would you apply market forces to your marriage, to your family? I mean, there are limits to how far. No, I'm, I'm serious. Capitalism is not a religion. It's an effective way of generating wealth. But to the extent it hurts Americans, shouldn't we respond? I mean, we don't do something just you know, because it's like big, big consistent question. with capital. I don't know. You're the one who said, well, that's are you against capitalism? I like capitalism. But when it hurts Americans, I'm willing to make adjustments. Wouldn't you be? OK, stop. That's OK. When he says, would you apply market forces to your family, to your marriage? Market forces, what does that have to do with anything? A marriage is a voluntary agreement I make with my wife. Okay, that has nothing to do with market forces. I don't want the government intervening. Okay, we're talking about government interventionism now. And here's the crazy part. When he says capitalism is not a religion, it's an effective way of generating wealth. Capitalism is not only good because it generates more wealth and better products and services. Capitalism is good because it is virtuous. Okay, capitalism, the free market is virtuous. You know why the free market is virtuous? Because it says you own your own labor. You own your own money. You own the fruits of your own labor. And no one can tell you how to spend those fruits. No one can tell you with whom you can do trade. No one can tell you that you are not able to do trade because there's some other guy somewhere else who's been hurt in because you're not doing trade with him. He'd be better off if you trade with him. If you were forced to trade with him, he'd be better off. So we're going to force you to trade with that guy instead. Okay, what Tucker Carlson says right there is anathema to conservatism. When he says, I like capitalism, but when it hurts Americans, I'm willing to make adjustments. That is Bernie Sanders' case. It is almost word for word Bernie Sanders' case. He says, I like capitalism. I like private property. But, but, whenever someone finishes with but, 
You know they're going to go in a direction that has nothing to do with capitalism or conservatism. And again, that's being done because people want to be loyal to Trump, not because it's actually good policy or anything like that. Well, we're going to have to go to break right now. Uh, but if you want to see the rest of the program, we're going to talk more about this. Plus, we're going to have on base stick man. So you're going to want to subscribe for that. Dailywire.com, $8 a month. We're going to be talking about Ann Coulter at Berkeley. We have a lot more to talk about here on the program today. Dailywire.com, $8 a month gets you a subscription. Plus, if you subscribe annually right now, then you get Jeremy Boring's The Arroyo, a fictional film set on our southern border about the drug cartels using the southern border as a thoroughfare. And uh, you can also see the rest of the show live. You can also be part of the mailbag, which we are going to be doing on a special Friday mailbag tomorrow. You can get Clavin's show live. You can be part of his mailbag. So lots of goodies coming if you're a Daily Wire subscriber. Go over there and subscribe. Or if you want to listen later at iTunes and SoundCloud, make sure you subscribe over at iTunes. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. We always appreciate it. We are the largest conservative podcast in the country. Okay, so I want to talk more about, you know, the sort of corruption of conservatism that seems to be happening because we have allegiance to particular personalities and why we need to avoid that. But first, I want to talk with base stickman about what's going on in Berkeley. So right now at Berkeley, Ann Coulter has now basically been banned. So Ann Coulter, who is a friend of mine, we disagreed about Trump, but we are very friendly. We've been friendly for years. Uh, Ann Coulter was supposed to go and speak at Berkeley about Trump, about about immigration particularly, uh, and she was essentially banned. So what she asked for, they, they said, you can only have students come to your lecture. You can't have anyone from the outside because we can't control it if you do that. And she said, fine, which is already an insane requirement. Then they said that we want to make sure that you're in a room of our choosing. It's going to be restricted by size. She said yes to that, too. And then she said, here's what I want. I want you to tell the Berkeley police not to stand down if violence breaks out. I want you to tell the, the, the university police that they should not. I want you to ask the university police, please do not stand down if violence breaks out. And the university said no, and then they canceled the event altogether, and they said, we can't keep this safe. There's no way for us to keep this safe. So we now have a rioter's veto over at Berkeley. If people choose to riot, then they can veto the appearance by Milo Yiannopoulos or by Ann Coulter or by me. As soon as the rioters show up, basically, these universities cave, and that's what's been happening in Berkeley. That's also manifesting in terms of the police backing down in situations where they shouldn't back down. So we talked yesterday with Lauren Southern about this riot that broke out in Berkeley. Now I want to talk with somebody else who was there, Bay Stickman. So Kyle Chapman is a California resident. He became an internet sensation in early March 2017 during a pro-Trump rally in Berkeley, California, when he hit an Antifa protester over the head with a stick after the demonstration turned violent, and so he's been at several of these. Uh, Kyle, thanks so much for joining the Ben Shapiro Show. Appreciate it. Ben, thanks for having me on. So, Kyle, tell me a little bit about, you know, why you go to these rallies and then what's been happening at these rallies and what the police are doing. Sure. So, I go to the rallies uh, so I can help support my fellow right-wingers, my fellow conservatives, um, also to provide protection if necessary, defense if necessary, and, uh, and what happens at these rallies? So Antifa, they seem like a pretty new, this seems like a new routine. They're showing up to these rallies to make trouble. Uh, how violent have they gotten for people who haven't seen all the tapes? Extremely violent. When they show up, uh, as soon as they show up, there is a 100% chance of violence on their part. There's no doubt about it. It will turn violent. That is their modus operandi. Uh, you know, we're talking... You know, showing up with bags full of grapefruit and orange-sized rocks that they would lob at us. Many people, uh, totally innocent people, by the way, that weren't even on the front lines, were struck in the head. We even had a lady get struck in the head with a carburetor. Oh, my God. Car. Oh my God. 
and it, it just it filleted the side of her face. Um, we at the last rally we had a gentleman get stabbed. Uh, we've had men get their their head split open. That uh, you know it took twelve or fourteen staples to close the wound. It's extremely violent. And uh, and what are the police doing this whole time? Because I used to live in a country where when this sort of crap broke out, the police were actually there to stop it. What have they been doing? Just sitting around? Pretty much. And what would you, where's that coming from? Is that coming from the cops or is that coming from their higher ups? It's coming from the police chief and the mayor. The, the rank and file officers are very frustrated about this. They, it, it's very difficult for them to stand by and watch innocent civilians be attacked mercilessly. But obviously, if they break orders, if they you know, do their job as they see fit, then they'll get fired or demoted. So how's it gone for you? So you've actually involved yourself in defending your fellow protesters against the violence of Antifa. And it seems like in every one of these cases, despite the media attempts to equate the two sides, it looks like Antifa is starting it always. I've never seen one of these rallies where the Trump side starts the violence. It looks like it's always the Antifa side starting. Am I getting that wrong or is that basically what's happening? Every time. Okay, so it seems so. The videos. And it's it's clear, you know, and that's that's the beautiful thing is we have the alternative media now that's putting out the truth, you know. And so you'll have these these media mainstream media propagandist organizations that are blaming it on us, and then all you, you just go online and it's clear who's doing it. I mean, they were throwing quarter sticks of dynamite that they would light, drop inside of wine bottles, hurl at us. The wine bottle would explode like a grenade. And shrapnel uh, would hit many of our participants, lacerating them and cutting them. So have you guys gotten lawyered up? I mean, has anybody from, from, the, from the free speech side gotten lawyered up and gone after some of the Antifa members? Because I saw that 4chan, some of the people over there have been identifying uh, some of the culprits in this sort of stuff. Uh, have there been any lawsuits filed yet uh, against the, the people who are engaged in violence? Mike Cernovich is trying to put something together right now. Uh, myself and Augustus Invictus are trying to get a uh, lawyer guild, a based lawyer guild, where we can come together and not only defend people that are participating at these rallies and, and participating in the defense of the attendees, but also look into filing civil rights lawsuits against the cities that fail to protect us and our First Amendment rights. So uh, would you call on President Trump to actually send in the National Guard to defend these rallies if the city's not going to do it? Absolutely. I mean, and, and I know that Mark Levin actually called for that yesterday. He's saying that if, if there's going to be violence in these places, that it's the obligation of the federal government in order to prevent violation of civil rights laws, you say, uh, to come in and, and defend against it. Well, I appreciate you going out there and, and defending your fellow citizen. Obviously, if the police aren't going to do it, I mean, we'd all want to. It's amazing. You know, we're all bred in, in the United States not to engage in violence with other people, except for the left. And now you've got the authorities in Berkeley that are willing to allow all of this to go on. Uh, and, and so good for you for, for not standing down from it. Also, you know, have you gotten any blowback from the police? Have you gotten have you gotten any trouble with the police for having defended uh, other sure. people at these rallies? Sure, I've been arrested three times. I have five felonies hanging over my head that I will have to at some point if they indict me with the charges have to fight them and fight those charges in court. Unbelievable. And and so, you know, I, I think that it is imperative. Obviously, it's imperative that 
You know, pre- if, pre- if Jerry Brown, the governor of California, isn't going to do anything and the city isn't going to do anything, then obviously the federal government is going to have to do something in order to prevent the violation of civil rights in these areas, because otherwise it's just putting people like you on the front lines and then leaving you alone as you have to battle it out with a, a tyrannical system that says that you can't defend your fellow citizens from people hurling bricks and dynamite at you. Unbelievable. Well, that- sure. and, and, and until that happens, I need my, my fellow right-wing conservatives and patriots to turn out to these events um, and and step up and, and and do the protection, do the defense that we need to have uh, for these events to be successful. So, where uh, can people go to? Where can people go to to work with you and help you out? Yeah, you can go to basestickman.com. It's my webpage. Uh, you can follow me on basestickman uh, underscore on Twitter, and then I have uh, basestickman at uh, on Facebook as well, uh, a fan page. I'm, I'm still in the process of forming a coalition, getting everybody together. The big thing is if we get people turned out in numbers and then the people that we have turn out, that they are ready to defend themselves. Helmets, you know, various forms of protection, stab vest, even taping National Geographics around your midsection so wow. that a knife can't uh, penetrate into your, your vital organs. Um, but this is... This is where it's at, and you know we need our warrior class to step up. And folks on and folks on the left, let me just say this: you know you're watching this and you're getting all freaked out because we're talking about defending ourselves. Here's the fact of the matter: defense is defense. Nobody's talking about offensive action. Nobody's talking about attacking anybody else. The only people who are doing the attacking are on the left. Anybody on our side, including including Kyle and Kyle, I'm sure you would say the same thing here. No one is saying that we, that that people who are rallying in favor of free speech are going to go out and commit acts of violence unprovoked. Obviously, everyone's against that, but everybody needs to be defended in their pursuit of free speech, obviously. Certainly. And, and, and we also need to take other actions like getting these Antifa groups, groups like BAM, by any means necessary, led by Yvette Falarka, a fourth grade teacher. Uh, we need to get these groups designated as domestic terrorist groups so then the feds can move in and break them up. And if they they're, are participating in politically driven violence, that is the obvious definition of politically driven terror. So, Kyle, thanks for what you're doing. I appreciate it. And folks, go over and check him out, obviously, on Twitter at BaseStickMan underscore or at BaseStickMan.com. Kyle, appreciate you coming on the show and talking about it. Thanks for having me, Ben. Absolutely. So, meanwhile, you know, with all of this going on, uh, it, it does demonstrate that the left really has no program at this point other than to shout and scream. But this is what I fear, going back to the sort of O'Reilly point and the, and the point about economics and, and Trumpism, is that the Democrats are looking for a focal point. And one of the ways that they're going to find a focal point is if we on the right are willing to excuse bad behavior because we agree with the general things that people are saying. When we excuse bad things, we open the left and uh, we, we give the left an opening. Forget about the, the moral point that you should never defend immorality. You shouldn't be defending bad things as a general rule. But beyond that, you're also doing something that's bad politically because you're opening the door for the left to attack you. So with all of this O'Reilly stuff going on, you end up with people like Stephen Colbert, you know, going after Bill O'Reilly openly now, and he feels he's justified in doing so because Fox News for years and years and years tolerated a culture where Bill O'Reilly's alleged behavior was allowed, apparently. So here is, here is Stephen Colbert going after Bill O'Reilly. So he says, so he, he called him, uh, what was this, a self-righteous, a self-righteous um, landfill. landfill of, of sundry garbage, uh, of angry garbage. Yeah, I mean, that, so, so he's just 
and, and, and I mean, when you talk about a self-righteous landfill of angry garbage, I mean, Stephen Colbert is right there at the top of the list. Self-righteous, and he spends his entire career living off of, off of Bill O'Reilly. He's actually got to be the saddest guy in the world that Bill O'Reilly just went away since he made his career off of him. But this is what the left loves. I mean, this is why the left loved it when the right basically looked the other way on some of the things that Donald Trump said. Elizabeth Warren is still trying to play that card. She says that Donald Trump won because he used an ugly stew of racism and sexism, and then she, for some reason, put on a headdress and started doing a rain dance, which was weird. In his direction, how do you explain the difference between those types of outcomes you're describing, how people, I think, can usually intelligently perceive their own self-interest, and the way people vote? Look, I, I talk about this in the book. Part of it is an ugly stew of racism. Part of it is Donald Trump tapped into anger. He got that people are deeply angry. They are angry that their kids can't graduate from school without getting crushed by student loan debt. Angry that there aren't good jobs being created right here. Angry that after a lifetime of working hard, you can't retire with a little dignity and security. And people are right to be angry. But Donald Trump said uh, it's their fault. Those other people, those people who don't worship like you, those people who don't look like you, those people aren't the same color as you. That was a big part. He told a story. It's just the wrong story. Donald and this Trump is the, and this is the and this is the the crap that they're going to pour onto Republicans every time Republicans look the other way on somebody doing something wrong. Then this is what the left is going to pour on them, and then we're going to say, "Well, you're misconstruing it." Perfect example today. So Donald Trump invites Sarah Palin to the White House. Okay. That's fine. Sarah Palin should go to the White House. She's a big Trump supporter. She was one of the first people to support Trump, former governor of Alaska, former vice presidential candidate. And she brings along with her a couple of other people. She brings along with her Kid Rock and Ted Nugent. So, you know, who cares that Kid Rock went? I don't see why that's a big deal that Kid Rock was there. Obama used to have celebrities all the time. Ted Nugent is obviously a little bit of a different story. And the reason Ted Nugent is a different story is because Ted Nugent has put out some material uh, that is if not borderline racist, overtly racist, or overtly anti-Semitic. He, during the last election cycle, he put out a graphic with a bunch of Jewish stars on people who he disagreed with. He's also put out graphics of, of a van with, with the N-word on it. I mean, Ted Nugent is a very fringy guy. Uh, and so here's Trump having him at the White House. And then all of these people go and they pose in front of a picture of Hillary Clinton. Now, the reason that, that I think Trump did this, I mean, it's troll level 1,000, obviously. You're having in all these people who said that Obama wasn't born in America, wasn't an American citizen. You're having in, you know, that's who Ted Nugent is. You're having those people stand in front of Hillary Clinton's picture to troll her. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's funny. And I know that our side thinks that anything that is anti-Hillary Clinton is funny. But let's see it from the other side for just a second. Let's put the shoe on the other foot. We all complained when Jay-Z and Beyonce went to the White House and Jay-Z was wearing black nationalist jewelry. We all complained when Snoop Dogg was at the White House and was meanwhile saying nasty things about the police. We all complained about that. So we can't pretend that it's okay when the right does this. When, when we didn't like it when the left did that. And it opens the door. Now we're going to have a debate all day over whether Donald Trump is a racist again because Ted Nugent was there. Okay, that's just an unforced error. And I understand that people on the right are going to go, well, that's just because people on the left don't understand the culture that's outside of Washington, D.C. and New York City. They don't understand people who are blue collar, who listen to Ted Nugent and like Ted Nugent. That may very well be true, but it doesn't matter when it comes to politics. It doesn't matter whether it's a matter of them understanding and whether there's a disconnect or whether they are just going to use this as a club with which to beat Trump. It's a controversy Trump didn't need, and now Trump is going to have to deal with it. So I'm not sure how that's good for Trump. I also, just on general principle, am not a fan of the idea that somebody who you know tweets out vans with an N-word on it uh, should be at the White House, whether that's a rapper or whether, that is, uh, or whether that's a country music star. So uh, I, I just... I think it's an unforced error, and it gives the left 
another talking point that they're going to use, and I'm not in the fa- I'm not in favor of giving the left useless talking points. This is not like a big win that you get something from. It's not even like you're making a big bargain here. You're bringing Ted Nugent to the White House, and the left's going to complain about it. The media will cover it for three days. Trump will say it's perfectly fine that Ted Nugent was there, and then people on the left will say, okay, well, what about Ted Nugent saying X, Y, and Z? And he'll say, well, I didn't know Ted Nugent said that, or he'll say, well, Ted Nugent said that, but it doesn't represent me, and they'll say, well, then why did you have him? That's going to be the conversation for the next three days because of this set of photos that was solely designed to just troll the left. Just not smart politics, not smart politics. Now, that said, it is true that the Democrats are unable to capitalize off of these mistakes because they're so over the top. So Sean Spicer is correct that the Democrats have been overplaying their hand on every score. Yesterday, he was talking about the Georgia election in the Georgia 6th, and he said that the Democrats lost there, but the media is trying to treat it like they won because they're overplaying their hand. The, the Democrats went all in on this race. They spent over $8.3 million. They said on the record that they were their goal was to win this race. They lost. And the, the reaction has somewhat been, um, you know, that they almost won. No, they lost. They made very clear what their goal was in this race. They spent $8.3 million and threw everything, including the kitchen sink, at it and lost. And so... Two months left, though, right? No, not in terms of what their stated goal was. They said that their goal last night was to win the race with over 50%. They spent $8.3 million. They didn't run for a runoff. They ran to win last night, and they lost. Okay, so it's just, um, and he's right, he's right. Camille Paglia also says that uh, she's a professor, feminist professor who's on the left. She says Democrats have overplayed the, her, their hand, and she's totally right. You know, my, my feeling that is that an election occurred, okay, and, and, and it's incumbent on the defeated party to pull itself together. Uh, or else we're going to get a re-election of the present administration. Uh, and that's, what, that's what I feel right now. Um, you feel like he's going to get re-elected? Yes. Yeah. I think that the, that the Democrats have overplayed their hand. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just can't imagine more... Well, you're, you're already betting on his re-election less than 100 days in. Um, yes, because of the, uh, they, what the Democrats needed to do, and what the major media, Frank, needed to do, okay, was to do some soul. And by that you mean the failing New York Times. Yes. Yeah, we're going to rebrand this failing Times talks. There's been a lot of, yeah. And, uh, and she's right. The Democrats keep overplaying their hand. Okay. Before I get to things I like and things I hate, I want to say thank you to our advertisers over at Birch Gold. So if you are interested in investing and diversifying into precious metals, some of your portfolio should be in precious metals, good hedge against inflation, good hedge against market uncertainty. You need to go to birchgold.com slash Ben for your no-cost, no-obligation, free information kit uh, that is going to give you everything you need to know. And then if you have questions, go to birchgold.com slash Ben. Ask all of your questions. They have an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau, a bunch of five-star reviews. They can help you shift your, your IRA or 401k out of stock and bonds and into precious metals. Again, a good hedge against the the uncertainty of the future. Precious metals have never been worth nothing, uh, and uh, they've they're worth a lot more than that right now. So birchgold.com slash Ben is where you want to check it out and use that slash Ben to make sure that they know that we sent you as well. Okay, so uh, time for some things I like and then some things I hate. So things I like. Um, I've been doing, I did a strategy book yesterday, so I figured I would do another strategy book today. This is a great, interesting strategy book by Bevan Alexander. It's called How Great Generals Win. Uh, and uh, it's about, uh, it's a military historian who looks at the history of great commanders from Hannibal to MacArthur uh, and looks at what they did right and what they did wrong. His ba- it's, it's really counterintuitive in some ways. He says that Robert E. Lee was actually not that great a battle general. And he says that Lee, that Stonewall Jackson was a great battle general, but Robert E. Lee relied far too much on the full frontal assault. He basically says that in politics, in life, in battle, 
Uh, the way that you win is through the indirect assault. You don't win by just going directly at somebody, playing strength to strength. Instead, you have to move around. You have to flank them. You have to attack from the rear. You have to use deception. Uh, and, uh, and that is certainly true in politics as well as it is in, in military matters. Uh, the question in politics is how you do that while still telling the truth. Um, but How Great Generals Win, great book on military strategy. Uh, and also, we'll, you'll, you'll know a lot more history after you've read it. So check that out. Okay, there's this other thing that's going around the Internet that I just love dearly. It's fantastic. It's about a minute and a half long. I'm going to play it. It's a, there's this father um, who's living in uh, – he lives in a farm community, obviously, and his, uh, his son is uh, working with – worked with him on the farm for uh, – uh, you know, with no reward. But here is here – is, th- this video is just great. I'll show you the video. It's from Indiana. You know, I kind of tested you a little bit today to kind of see – how you'd react to the new you retired, but you never once complained. You know, worked hard. This is something here that you and I are going to do, and it's going to take a whole day to do it. Okay. So, do you want to? Do you want to do it? You sure? You don't even know what it is. I know. But you want to do it. Mhm. Be careful and open that up. Hugging his dad now, if you can't see it. You really should watch the video. It's great. Uh, the, 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 the father gave his son two tickets to the Cubs game. And now the kid's crying because he's so happy. He's at Cubs-St. Louis Cardinals game. Uh, really, th- that is good parenting right there. You don't give the reward until after the kid has done it, but then you reward the kid for good behavior. Uh, you never bribe children, just like you never bribe dictators. Never bribe children. Children are just little dictators. Never bribe people. Uh, and you, you can reward them for a job well done. Uh, this is fantastic parenting and uh, really moving. It's just great. Uh, my only regret in this video is that the kid has to go to a Cubs game. Um, but I guess that the, uh, I guess the Cubs are good. I know they're good, but you know, the Cubs. But it's still a great video and good for the parents. And as John Podhorat said online, uh, you hope that the exposure from this doesn't change their parenting style one iota because it's just fantastic. That's the way that you should handle Kids, you don't give them the reward until after they've done something and you don't bribe them with the reward. The expectation is they do something good. Okay, time for some things that I hate. So Chelsea Clinton has all the charisma of a, of a wet paper bag. She's like a bag of soggy cardboard that they've decided to prop up and turn into a, a real person. Uh, Chelsea, uh, the, the media have been pushing her incredibly hard ever since Hillary lost. The idea is that she has to come back now and she's going to fix everything. And now there's a tape of her talking about how everyone needs to rise up in her own inimitable charismatic style. Again, all the charisma of the speed bump. Here she is. And I think it's also a real challenge um, to anyone who thinks this is not the moment to stand up and speak out because this is certainly not the moment to be silent. Um, And whether you want to share your voice on stage or on Twitter or kind of on the streets, I think we need everyone to rise up. Okay. Yeah, was, did you find that inspiring? I mean, they tried to put the inspirational music behind it, but it turns out there's only so much that anyone can do when it sounds like a bunch of bees droning at you. Uh, the, the left has been trying to push up Hillary, uh, Hillary Clinton's child as something special. I tweeted out yesterday, why is it that we're constantly hearing from Chelsea, but we never hear from any of Mitt Romney's kids? And someone said, well, one of Mitt Romney's kids is running for, uh, maybe running for a senator or governor. That's true, but how much have you heard about that? 
anything. Chelsea Clinton isn't even running for anything. And they keep pushing out stories every day. They put her on the cover of Variety magazine, for God's sake. She's not even a Hollywood star. And they put her on the cover of Variety magazine. The, the left's obsession with the Clintons just will not end under any circumstances, and it's really awful. Okay, other things that I hate. So uh, there, there's this weird misconception that things that are natural are good. There's a, new, there's a new article out from Yahoo News about how women are now using marijuana during pregnancy to deal with the, uh, the cravings and with the nausea. And this quote is, the pregnancy and pot use. 21% of Americans think it's okay for a pregnant woman to use pot for nausea or pain. Among Americans who use marijuana regularly, 40% think it's okay for a pregnant woman to use pot for nausea or pain. And 50% don't care because they're hungry for Cheetos. But... This quote from the article is really what got me. Quote, I was more nervous about the pharmaceuticals than I was about the marijuana because it is a natural substance. No. No, stupid person. This is not a smart thing to say. The reason this is not a smart thing to say is because just because something is natural and occurs in nature does not make it better for you. This is one of these idiotic left-wing memes that has been going around for the last 30 years. Ooh, it's organic. That means it's better. GMOs are evil. Right? The, the drugs, terrible for you. But if we can somehow find the ancient native medicine man and we can make him take a mortar and pestle and grind up a few berries for you, all of your wounds shall be healed. N- no, no, this is, no, just no, okay? Science tests things and then they either work or they don't. Just because something naturally occurs in nature doesn't mean it's good. You know what naturally occurs in nature? Syphilis. You know what naturally occurs in nature? Cancer. You know what naturally occurs in nature? Poison ivy. Do not rub poison ivy on your cancer. It won't solve anything. Okay. Do not use marijuana if you are pregnant. There has not been enough research that has been done yet to say that marijuana is safe to use while you are pregnant. Okay. Just as tobacco naturally occurs in nature. You shouldn't smoke it when you're pregnant because if you do that, you're going to have low birth weight. You could have underdeveloped babies. They are saying that there is some evidence. There's not enough evidence yet because there are not enough women stupid enough to smoke pot while they're pregnant. They're saying there's some evidence of low birth weight and neural development, lack of neural development in babies if you smoke pot while you're pregnant. Don't fall for the old stupid saw that you are more that, that pharmaceuticals are evil, but naturally occurring marijuana is good. Some pharmaceuticals are great, and some pharmaceuticals suck. And some naturally occurring products are, are okay and some suck. There are very few naturally occurring products that cure disease. Virtually all of them had to be come up in, with in labs, which is why people spend millions of dollars on research and development. Okay, uh, quick thing on the Bible and then we will leave because otherwise I'll be beaten with a stick by Andrew Clavin and I'll have to call it base stick man to my defense. Okay, so... Uh, it's uh, so a little bit of Bible talk. So every week, as I always say, we, the Juden, we read a particular section from the Bible. Uh, this particular section from the Bible comes in the middle of Leviticus, and, uh, and it is about Aaron and his son. So you recall, when last we left our story, Aaron had uh, committed the sin of the golden calf, and then he, they, the Jews had been forgiven. There's a plague. The Jews are forgiven. Now Aaron's sons, uh, Nadab and Abihu, the, uh, it's in Hebrew, it's Nadab and Abihu. So in English, I got it, it's Nadab and Abihu. Uh, they each took out their pan and they bring fire in them and they put incense upon it and they bring them before the Lord. And they say it's a foreign fire, which he had not commanded them. And then fire went forth before the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. So these two guys come and they try to give a sacrifice to God. They've not been commanded to do so. And God kills them, basically. And and so the question is why? What did they do that was so wrong? So there's a lot of commentaries on what they did that was so wrong, but it's the next passage that I find interesting because this is the one that speaks to us as human beings. Moses says to his brother Aaron, he says, this is what the Lord spoke when he said, I will be sanctified through those near me and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron was silent. So why was Aaron silent? So there are a couple of opinions on why Aaron was silent. One is he doesn't buy what Moses is selling here. Then Moses says, you know, basically 
the reason that these guys died is they were too holy, and then they committed a sin, and then God had to punish them because they should have known better. And Aaron doesn't like that, and so he's silent. One is that Aaron is sort of satisfied with the answer because it's the best answer he's going to get, and he's not going to get any better answer. One is that he's unsatisfied, but he's he knows he's not going to get any better answer, so he remains silent. I have a slightly different answer that's that's uh, I think could be interesting, and that is Moses says, I'll be sanctified through those near to me, and before all the people, I'll be glorified. And here's what Aaron's, Aaron might be thinking to himself. Aaron is, might be thinking to himself, I committed a way bigger sin than not of Nevihu. Right? I was not commanded to make a golden calf. I was not commanded to make an idol for all the people to worship as a sort of, as a sort of thoroughfare to, to God. I was not commanded to do that. But was I killed? No, I wasn't killed. Right? I threw the, the gold into the fire, and now came the golden calf. That's what it says in the Bible. And I wasn't killed. God didn't, God didn't destroy me. And clearly I did something that was so bad that literally tens of thousands of Jews are killed. So why, why wasn't I? Why wasn't I taken but my son's war? Why is it the not of Navi who die for bringing a, a foreign flame in front of the God, in front of God, but, but why was I okay even after I brought the, the golden calf? And so it is possible that he actually takes Moses' words as a chastisement of him, meaning that Aaron feels distant from God because Aaron feels like, I wasn't even, God didn't have expectations of me great enough for him to punish me properly. I've lost my connection with God. Right? I've lost what it was that made me special. And he goes, and, and for the rest of the Bible, there's sort of this decline in the people's respect for Aaron that springs from this point. Moses ends up taking away certain priestly duties from Aaron and giving them to Pinchas, another, another member of the community. So the, the point here is this. The better the leader the, the greater the leader, the more God holds them accountable, not the opposite. If somebody is very powerful, if somebody has a lot of impact, God holds them more accountable because what they say has more impact on more people. And if they lose the impact, God doesn't hold them quite as accountable. What Moses is saying here is that if you want to, be, if you want to have the, the fame, if you want to have the power, if you want to be close to God, you have to understand there's risk that attends to that, and that risk is that you have to be cleaner than everyone else. You have to live better than everyone else. And I think that we would be wise to remember that because we should demand more from our own leaders, not less from our own leaders, just because our leaders are our leaders. God knows that we are more likely to go along to get along with leaders we like, but he also knows that those leaders have a lot of power over us, which is why it's so important that we choose good leaders and that God sanctifies those leaders uh, through his commandments. Okay, so we'll be back tomorrow. We'll be doing the mailbag tomorrow. We'll bring you all the latest updates as always. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values, and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.